experience, bitch. Hello there, and prepare to experience Beige, the podcast where two long-time friends discuss all things science fiction and fantasy. Uh, in particular, this week, we're going to be talking about Season 2, Episode 5 of The Mandalorian, and Season 3, Episode 7 of Star Trek Discovery. Now, last week, I flipped it around and started with Discovery. I noticed we had a handful of fewer listeners. Most people would say that's because it was Thanksgiving week and people probably listen to podcasts less than usual in general. But I think it's because I just got, the power went to my head. I switched our normal operating procedure. People were confused. They didn't like it. They want their Mandalorian first. So give the people what they want. We're gonna go to Mandalorian season two, episode five. This was the uh, live-action first appearance of Ahsoka, and I want to let Hugo take it away because he knows more about that character and about the world uh, that she comes from. So what did you think of the episode? Well, just as a starting commentary, Dave, I think both Star Trek and Mandalorian this week promised big things just from their titles, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) The Mandalorian was called... The Jedi. Yes, <laughs> that's that's, uh, that's 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 a big promise. And Star Trek Discovery was called Unification Three, which, if you're a fan of the Next Generation, means a big deal. Um, and we'll get to what we'll get to the we'll get to the big promises that Discovery made with its with its title. But yeah, let's dive into Mando. So we have we have a sh- an episode called The Jedi, and of course, the Jedi in question is Ahsoka Tano. Uh, hero of the Clone Wars, brought to live action for the first time. And, you know, I guess I'm just going to say this, Dave, um, about both Discovery and Mandalorian this week. I expected a lot from both of them. They both delivered a lot. And yet, it wasn't enough for me in both cases. Mm. I... I um, you experienced a little beige, I think. I experienced I, some beige. I, I, I some hear pain. It in your voice. Some, some, some pain, <laughs> you know. I um, let, Let's focus on Mando since that's where we started. I, 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 I've watched the Clone Wars animated series. I've watched most of Star Wars Rebels. And Ahsoka is a fantastic character in those series. Uh, so seeing her brought to live action was a big deal. I was excited to, to see how they did it, to see if they could pull it off. And... You know, I think part of it was just by the nature of the show, and we've talked before how how unambitious the Mandalorian is in many mm-hmm. ways. It just it's very modest. Like you know, it clearly has high production values, but the stories themselves are for the most part quite modest mm-hmm. in what they're conveying, and that's fine. It's actually good in many respects. It's nice to have Star Wars stories that aren't about you know planet destroying super weapons (laughs) Mm -hmm. but in this case i I just found i just found it too jarring to think about ahsoka's sort of previous depictions on screen the powers we know she has um and and the rarity of force users in this time period uh, right after the 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 empire's fallen 
with how she was depicted on screen. Uh, you know, I mentioned a few episodes back about that Discovery episode where they had these great production values and great visual design in setting up this uh, slave labor camp that the Orions were running. And it made it seem like this massive facility that was like deconstructing starships and reclaiming their parts and selling them. And how that really contrasted with the, the scene at the end where you had like a dozen people <laughs> escaping from this facility. Mm-hmm. And and I, I really felt that this week in Mandalorian that, that again, it was just, the visuals were were very striking this week. I thought it was very um, nicely done and filmed and directed, but the actual town—I mean, not uh-huh. even planet, right? It was like not even a city, like town. I mean, it, it almost felt like a village. It just was really underwhelming. Like that, this was the big thing Ahsoka was doing was basically taking down twelve guards and and their leader, and and and. And that she couldn't do it until Mando came, right? Like, apparently she had been here long enough that Bo-Katan was able to tell Mando to come that, here. I, that was your, yeah, that was one of my nitpicks, um, was she She just, now, in order to make that work, yes, she must have been chilling on this planet for a while. That seems to have nothing on it except burned out forests and, like, this village, this walled village. But... Yeah, it was that was one of my nitpicks is how did how did he did anybody know she'd be on this planet? She just seems to be passing through to take out this person and then going, you know, along on her quest. It didn't really make sense. But anyway. Yeah, it 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 it, it didn't and I it's it's <laughs> um it's it's that sort of time traveling uh uh you know, um speed that uh that that TV seems to love using nowadays. I mean, we, we you and I have grabbed a Game of Thrones. How in this final season, like you know, crossing vast distances was just it. It just didn't matter. It wasn't it, it wasn't factored into the storytelling. Um, the Abrams movies, both with Star Trek and Star Wars, are notorious for this. But but again, here it was like, okay, so you get this message that Ahsoka's there, and I guess you get there very soon because like, <laughs> good thing she's still there and hasn't been able to deal with this issue. Um, well, and they even just make it sound like she, it almost seems, I guess you could read it as she's been there a while, but it almost seems like she has been tracking this woman and she's made herself known and maybe she's just kind of been picking these soldiers off, you know, in small quantities, but it seems like she could have just taken that thing at any time she wanted to. So I don't know that she needed to have been there that long beforehand because she didn't need Mando's help either. That was also an odd thing about the episode because the, the, the show is very big on Mando will make you a deal. He'll help you out if you give him the information or whatever that he needs. And this was kind of the same setup, except I don't think she really needed his help. He didn't really <laughs> do that much. And she was just taking people out which is what we want from jedi we want jedi to kick some butt that's what they're there for they're like superheroes basically yeah i wonder that too because she's obviously very capable of doing this uh the the read i got and i wish they'd made it a little clearer because yeah she didn't need mando she could do this herself was she needed mando not to clear the encampment but to make sure the civilians were safe like that make was sure they don't kill them while she's fighting everybody yeah else. and yeah. i wish they had made that a little clear but i i think if in thinking back to the episode, that's that was why she hadn't just basically done an all-out assault. Was but because, she's like, you could kill them. I don't even care. 
at the <laughs> She did act like that, right? <laughs> well, you notice, Dave, uh, going into the lore a bit, um, you notice that she had white lightsabers, mm-hmm. which which we haven't seen in, in, on, on live action before. And uh, I did find the episode title interesting, The Jedi, because uh, Ahsoka is not actually a Jedi any longer. Mm. She left the Jedi Order um, because, well, because of a whole host of reasons um, that I won't spoil for people who haven't seen the Clone Wars animated series. But she left the Jedi Order, and when she left it, um, eventually she went her own way, uh, caught, ca- got caught up in the Rebel Alliance, and um, her lightsabers, when when she was um, when she became an adult during the Rebellion era, they they were white now, and the reason for that seems to be that she's not a Jedi, but she's not a Sith. So mm. she's kind of a neutral, uh, although she's not really truly neutral, more like neutral good, uh, unaffiliated, I guess, mm. uh, uh, force user now. And so her lightsabers re- reflect that, that she's not attached to any order or, or organization any longer. So that's why they were white. So, I mean, of course, like, it makes perfect sense, though, that people wouldn't make those distinctions. And, and I think the show was kind of aware of that. Like, oh, she's just a Jedi. She's a Force user with lightsabers. She's not, like, murdering people <laughs> uh, who are innocent. So I think if Jedi. I was a Sith, I would insist on a non-red lightsaber. First of all, people, even if you're a Sith, you pr- probably still have favorite colors. I mean, come on. You have preferences. I want, like, a, a green one or something. And that way, everybody knows you you ignite that red lightsaber. Oh, there's a Sith. But if you're like, oh, I, I'm a green one. Oh, that must be a, a Jedi or a good um, a good Force user. And then that gets you just close enough to to attack, and they don't even see it coming because you didn't you didn't show off your red lightsaber. But so here's another bit of lore for you because <laughs> that 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 would be a good strategy. You don't choose the lightsaber crystals; they choose you. Oh, so and red is the only one that chooses Sith. Well, so I haven't read deeply enough to know about the Sith. My, I know that the the red and blue ones, like when you're a Padawan, you go to the caves and you you find the crystal that's calling you, and that's that's your lightsaber crystal. Um, for the Sith, I haven't read the actual stories, but I I've read summaries that say that recently they've explained. That the red crystals are normal crystals that become corrupted by your mm. by your rage and anger. Gotcha. So again, you're not really saying like I'm gonna pick a red one because I'm evil. <laughs> it's more, <laughs> it's more that as you start going to the dark side, your crystal's color sort of harmonizes with your anger, and and starts becoming this this passionate fiery color. I mean, it it does bring up. Uh, I mean, we yeah, you can't think too hard about Star Star Wars in my opinion because then it's like. Then it comes down to like, why are there only like super evil Sith? Like, I get it, that's their thing, but it's like very much good versus evil, which I get with you know the hero's journey and all that stuff of how it started. But it's just it's pretty silly. Like you're either, and then you know I know they investigate this in the stories of like the the Jedi were to blame because they became complacent and stuff. But like we're the keepers of order and this other side is is pure evil and chaos and like it just like ahsoka seems like what most people would be like like eh, i'm gonna do my own thing you know i would kind of like to i guess maybe they did this a little bit with kylo ren where he wasn't sure where he fit in but i you know future installments of 
uh, Star Wars, I think it would make more sense if like the Sith weren't so quite so all the same. Of like, you know, you you just sold your soul basically, and now you're you're pure evil, and you're gonna go on murderous rampages. Yeah, it makes it harder to see. I, I feel like that was. I mean, I know the the prequels have a lot of flaws to them, but I feel like the biggest flaw from a storytelling perspective was that they never sold very well why Anakin, who who seemed to believe in the Jedi Order, um, why he fell to this. Like, he went from being like, oh, I'm an honorable Jedi Knight, to like, I'm a murderous, genocidal maniac. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it, it He killed the younglings! He killed the younglings, right. Like, <laughs> and that was the part I didn't buy. I buy that he would turn to the dark side, but I didn't buy that, like, just because he gets upset, he's going to start murdering children. And I think, like, that's, again, the problem. Like, it's just so extreme. But if it would have been far more compelling. And, again, it was, you know, it's a two-and-a-half-hour movie. You don't have that much time. But still, like, you had three movies, Lucas. Like, why why did we spend a whole movie where he was nine years old, like, and doing <laughs> pod races? Um, now this is pod racing. <laughs> it would have been more angel? compelling if we had seen, right, the Sith as being, like, a much more subtle a slow temptation uh not being like oh we're gonna kill young you know children but like you know we're gonna we're gonna do what's necessary to maintain our power or to maintain our happiness or you know like like more of a selfish type yeah and that's that's exactly what i was just thinking when you were talking so it should be about greed and selfishness which is different for each person what are you selfish about what do you what does power mean to you it's not going to be not for everyone is it going to be controlling this empire you know and 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 the clone wars animated series and and rebels they bring back darth maul he's he's alive if if you didn't know that uh how you stay alive when when, when you've been cut in half i don't know but um (laughs) they sort of explain it um (laughs) <laughs> space magic right um and and actually they that he becomes one of the more interesting force users for that reason because he basically becomes a criminal syndicate leader like that's what he does with the dark side of the mm. force he doesn't want to be a sith anymore um and he doesn't really you know want to like destroy planets or anything he just wants to be like a very powerful criminal mm. uh, and which is which kind of makes sense like why aren't there force users who are just criminal overlords, right? Like that, that would seem to be a great way to rise in the ranks of a criminal organization. Yeah. Yeah. Well, while we're nitpicking Star Wars at large, I'm going to take it back to the episode with one of my ongoing nitpicks of Star Wars. And that is not nearly enough force power use when it's like a one-on-one duel. You are like a magic ninja, and you are fighting this seemingly normal woman who, yes, she has this spear who that can block your attacks, block your lightsaber. I get it. That's useful. But you have all this training and magical powers and two, like, laser swords. And this woman's giving you trouble. And maybe she's someone, like, maybe she's someone I should know or I don't think so. But she seems just like a random evil person but maybe you know more about her than i do but i was just like come on like you push her around like push her into the the water or something or like flip around more and i get it you know there's going to be a budget for these things and but even the movies and stuff and i i i almost wish they would say because this would make it you know it would bring its own problems but like the jedi 
are like honorable during a fight and it would be dishonorable somehow to use your force powers or something but then why would the sith not use their force power especially the sith i'd be choking people and shooting lightning <laughs> like as i'm attacking now obviously we see them do this stuff but i would like swing while i'm choking that would throw off their block just in a, enough time for me to hit them like this is all you need is like advantages of a, like a fraction of a second when you're talking about like a sword that cuts through any almost anything like instantaneously but anyway yeah i i we've talked about that before off off the podcast and i i had that same thought in this fight it, it was it was well filmed it looked cool it looked like a samurai duel from like a, a kurosawa film or something um so very nicely shot and filmed but it was like, like you said, why doesn't she just force push her into the water? Why doesn't she just, you know, like force, 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 force freezer, right? Like just lift her up into the air like Vader's done or like, um, or just force push the, the staff like to get yeah. your shot in. Or yeah. Ahsoka, you have two lightsabers, you know, throw one behind her and, and pull it back with the force. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I, I definitely was like, huh, okay. And, and, and they, Star Wars always has to, and it's the problem really with um, with all fantasy fiction, right? When you have magic or or, mm-hmm. or, or like the Force or something magical, uh, you know. Whenever I read fantasy novels too, and like wizards do something amazing, you're like, why don't why don't they just do that at other times? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the answer, of course, is like, because then it wouldn't be an interesting story. Like if Ahsoka just won in a in a second. Um, so you know, speaking of the fight, that was the other thing with the with the show. Um, you mentioned she's like a, a ninja. I found her portrayal very um, unexpected, and, and and maybe that's on me. Maybe in hindsight, I should have expected it. But when she's been shown in animated shows, she is depicted as more of a ninja. She she is like very quick, uh, very fast. She's got her two smaller sabers. Uh, she's leaping. She's dodging. Uh, she's she's very agile. Um, she moves, you know, like a like a like a almost like an acrobat, right? Like she's just flipping and moving and dodging. And here, her portrayal, uh, down to her clothes, I thought when, whenever you'd see the silhouettes of her, um, she looked like a samurai, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and, and again, the episode to me was shot more like a samurai film. And I, I think that was deliberate. But it didn't really fit with how she's been portrayed before. It fit with the Mando series in that we had this, you know, Mando is kind of the Western gunslinger. And this was kind of the episode where, oh, the Western gunslinger meets, you know, the the the, the samurai, the Ronin, and mm. and they they team up, which is which is kind of a cool concept. But her portrayal as a samurai figure, I I just wasn't expecting that. And you know, by the time the episode finished, I thought maybe maybe that was on me because she is not, you know, this twenty year old or, or or whatever she was in the in the in the animated shows uh, fighter. She's probably now she's middle age um, probably pushing 50 and like i mean even for a force user that's got to change your fighting style and your mm-hmm. approach and your movement hey, yoda was flipping around and he was like 600 years old or something <laughs> i don't want to hear age as an excuse he was flying all over the place and that's well yes and that's the problem <laughs> with what they've depicted before is that <laughs> i mean even even uh count dooku who, who could barely move got some got some flips in through the magic of cgi <laughs> Yeah, that's the big problem is you're coming from a cartoon character who can do what basically whatever you need that character to do to like a real life person, even if you, you are using CGI and, you know, maybe that's not budgeted on the show, even though the show, you know, does look good. 
it's probably a different thing to like completely animate an entire character for a fight scene or something like that. And then obviously that would look kind of stand out on this show where they don't really do that. It seems much more practical effects and stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's kind of one of those things when cartoons become live action, it's it's going to be different. You can't do all the same things. That's why I'm, I've always been a big, I haven't watched these Star Wars cartoons, but Star Wars is to me as much fantasy as it is science fiction and i've always felt like we should have more cartoon like fantasy cartoons like i guess maybe everyone still thinks of cartoons as kids stuff uh maybe that's a, a reason why but i would like to see you know more adult fantasy or science fiction as animated series because you can do whatever you want you know especially for something where there's magic and creatures that are you know beyond belief and things like that but anyway um just to kind of get back to the episode uh we have a name for baby yoda everyone is still going to call him baby yoda but it's grogu apparently doesn't really roll off the tongue but you know how in fantasy books and uh, sometimes there's these magic spells or curses that make like knowledge leave your memory or like like or like protect certain bits of knowledge from like like people can't remember it right they can't remember this place or this name. Uh, I honestly feel like that was cast on me over Baby Yoda's name. I I know I'm the lore guy on this podcast, but I, I finished the episode and I was like. Wait, he had a name. What's his name? I only know because I wrote it down. <laughs> I literally cannot remember his name. He is Baby Yoda. It, it is hard. <laughs> it is that there's a hex on his name that it will not imprint in my mind. He will always be Baby Yoda to me. <laughs> I know to everybody else too, but Grogu. We'll we'll see if that sticks. I I have my doubts. Uh, so I want to tell a little story. We've kind of. I, I apologize to to those who listen to this podcast specifically for like a beat by beat breakdown of the Mandalorian, because this is kind of, we've kind of uh, spiraled off into other topics. But so I want to tell a story um, about uh, tangentially about Star Wars, but it'll come back to the show. So uh, several years ago, uh, myself, uh, Hugo, uh Hugo's wife, my wife, and there was at least one other person, maybe a couple other people, were playing a game, like a parlor game. And it was everybody, you write down questions, and then everybody has to answer them individually. And then whoever is the judge, and you kind of rotate who that is, they read through all the answers, and they try to figure out who wrote each answer, and then they get a point for each one, and you move on. So at one point, there was... A uh, the question was, what is your favorite or who is your favorite Star Wars character? And I wrote like Obi Wan. I mean, I I do think he's a great character, but you know, obviously, I'm more familiar with the mainstream stuff, so that was kind of an obvious pick. I can't remember who my wife said, but it was you know kind of more of a mainstream pick. Uh, Hugo, which I will come back to, and the is the point of the story. I believe said. Thrawn, who nobody ever even heard of in this group because he at that time was just a book character and nobody else in this group had read the books and were like, what are you talking about? Who is this guy? Uh, and then, but my favorite was Hugo's wife who simply wrote Wookiee. <laughs> 
<laughs> and we we knew what she meant and so it was chewbacca but she was she didn't recall the name at the time but the person reading off after reading all these elaborate names including a name of a character nobody had ever heard of because it was sp- specific to the books just just read wookie <laughs> and we still uh i i still fondly remember uh that uh that uh that answer but the reason I bring this up is because, unless I'm wrong, I believe you answered Thrawn uh, uh, to that question, and I know he's been part of the cart- one of the cartoons at this point, so he's more well known. Uh, he- they brought him out of the books, but so what are your thoughts about this? Are you excited where they're going with this, or or what? Are you n- nervous because now it's going to be a lot like we talked about Ahsoka? Now they bring him into real life. Maybe it doesn't live up to expectations. What what are you thinking? I, you know, uh, it was cool that they name dropped Thrawn. Um, it's the first time in live action we've heard his name. He was also still referenced as Grand Admiral, so mm-hmm. it seems like he's still active uh, after the um, New Republic has risen and the Empire's fallen. I, I took it as it was cool, but I did not get too excited because I took it as just that, just a, a name drop, a tease for for the true fans. Uh-huh. Um, I don't really expect him to come out of Mandalorian. Um, certainly not this season. Maybe in theory, I guess, in future seasons, they could go in a direction where it makes sense to bring him out. Um, you know, you know, just speculating, like what would be a cool like fourth or fifth season of Mandalorian would be um, Bo-Katan and Mando are together and like they want to go claim Mandalore again, but like Thrawn comes back like he's risen and he has designs on it and like you get kind of caught up in an actual star war (laughs) in Uh that way (laughs) but i just you know speaking of like having these expectations these great expectations i almost don't want them to bring thrawn into the show unless they're gonna go like big big yeah like he is such an epic character and um if they're going to bring him onto the show, then then they need to up the stakes and the scale of it. I mean, it, it really needs to be something like the Battle of Mandalore, or something that of that level, uh, to 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 merit having this character in. So, I don't know. Maybe I should be happy if they just show him. Uh, but I again, I just I just think like if you're going to tell a Thrawn story, make it a Thrawn story. Yeah, otherwise, otherwise it's cool. Just name drop him. You know, show he's still active. Cool. But say, otherwise, save his story. For later, I mean, maybe what they'll do because this episode, I think, I mean, I thought it was a good episode. I, th- I I enjoyed it, but part of the reason I think it wasn't as satisfying as maybe the Bo-Katan episode, which I, it's only a comparison because it's like the first live action appearance of uh, of a character from the um, uh, cartoons. Uh, this one kind of felt like a like a backdoor pilot almost of like oh you want to see Ahsoka's continuing adventures wait until the Ahsoka show premieres you know next fall or something and I don't know if they're actually doing that but maybe that then uh, Thrawn would be her big bad that she's going after in that in that show but uh, and then maybe that maybe they would go bigger for that if they had its own thing and it didn't have to maybe adhere so much to the style of the Mandalorian but I, that, I'm just that is what it felt up. like <laughs> you're right that is what it felt like it it did feel like uh, oh like we're not gonna do a major awesome story with her because she's gonna get her own show later on come tune in <laughs> yeah yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, so so yeah okay. so so what do you think, Dave? Uh, overall about the episode? 
so i mean i think i i mean i agree that it felt a little distant somehow um part of that is like mando felt kind of unnecessary to the plot almost and he's our main character and i know a lot of it was about uh grogu i'm gonna try to say his name i can only say it because i have it written down and i have and i can refer to it if i don't have it in front of me in future uh podcasts i will not be able to say it uh and you know so they did some work continuing Grogu's storyline there, but it just felt kind of like, man, Mando didn't really need to be helping here. Um, so it did feel a little kind of like glommed on almost. And I don't know a lot about the Ahsoka character. Um, I kind you know, it almost to get back to what you were saying at the beginning of the podcast where you're like, you had certain expectations. I kind of ha- did too, not watching the, ha- having watched the cartoon. But when you say like, oh, you must go and meet Ahsoka. And I know enough to know like, wow, she must be the only, one of the few, technically she's not a Jedi, but she's one of the few f- good force users around. And so I know that's very rare. And I know enough to know she was like trained by Darth Vader or Anakin who becomes Darth Vader. It's like, oh, wow, this is going to be like momentous, even though Mando doesn't know anything about this character. But it wasn't really like momentous. And I part of what I was expecting, because she, uh, Bo-Katan tells her to go to a specific planet, and you're expecting like, oh, this is going to be maybe Ahsoka's home world or at least her base of operations. We're going to see what she's really up to now. But we go to this kind of backwater planet. Like this is so far. This is like the worst planet yet. We have desert desert planets, ice planets. This is like an entire planet that has has experienced a forest fire, apparently. I don't know what, what I'm supposed to take from this planet, but it's ridiculous. Uh, and luckily, there's these giant animals who eat like dead trees. Well, I don't know how much nutrients you're getting from those, but apparently that's their diet. Um, but yeah, it just didn't fully like live up to what my expectations were even as someone who doesn't know ahsoka or the the cartoon i just was expecting i more like that we would get to like what is what does the the jedi mean now what does the force mean in this world now we know that you know luke is out there but we're not going to see luke so according to the show what does this all mean because that's a big part of star wars is the jedi and the force and stuff like that and it just felt like this episode was kind of like most mandalorian episodes where he has to team up with somebody and go on a mission and he he in in uh in payment he'll get the his next pointer to where he needs to travel to next to continue on his quest and i guess i was just expecting more than that basic setup from this episode yeah no that's a great summary that's that's how i feel too and uh i did find it funny too when she's like you know we think this this character's baby yoda yes <laughs> and then and then all he does is you get his name but he gets like an entire detailed backstory. She's like, oh, yeah, he was a Padawan during the Clone Wars. He had all these uh, trainers and like he did all this stuff. It was awesome. And it's like, uh, and then Mando's like, wait, you talked to him? 
No, not really. <laughs> it's like, no, you clearly just talked inferred. to us. <laughs> Those are pretty specific details you got, Ahsoka. That, 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 that's a conversation. Or you force communicated with him. That's what I thought they were going to go. In with. which case, why is your next thing like, oh, he's a force user? I got to test him. It's like, you just did. <laughs> you just had a whole conversation with your minds. That's that's not something normal people do. <laughs> yeah, the whole that whole kind of it was kind of funny because like, oh, we're gonna do Ahsoka, and, and you know, I I just envisioned the writers' room. It's like, well, okay, that's cool to bring her into the fold, but wouldn't she just train Grogu? And like, oh no, no, we can't have that. We don't want her to be like in the show every episode. It's like, well, why would she's like one of the only people left? It's like the whole re- she's like I can't train this this Grogu he's he's got anger in him but if you go to this m- mystical mountaintop uh, maybe some other Jedi will come and train him hopefully it's not a Sith who wants to kill him or something <laughs> but some other person might come along if you go here but won't they have the same problems he's got anger or whatever like excuse or it just she seemed like yeah i don't want it i don't have time for this but i'm going to come up with some jedi mumbo jumbo to get you off of my back that's what it sounded like to me and mando was upset he's like you're not honoring the deal and she's like no 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 take him to this mountaintop place him on this pedestal let him meditate he will summon someone or he won't it's up to him and then mando's like okay cool thanks <laughs> yeah <laughs> he's like Fine, okay what? I'm, he's used to going on these wild goose chases. That I think that was ultimately his expectation. <laughs> anyway. He knows he's in a video game, and like that's the next quest he has to take. So he's like, "All right, I, I guess the I guess the game's not. I'm not at the ending yet. I got to keep going." Speaking of video game aspects of the show, I was very excited that they managed to level him up again. I thought he was fully leveled up, but now he's got a super spear that can block lightsabers. So I'm like, "Oh, are we gonna have him fighting?" I mean, I. And we got a glimpse of it here, but like, are we going to have him fight the dark saber or whatever? You know, like now he has a weapon that can withstand the uh, lightsaber attack. So that's got to be it, right? I couldn't understand. I was very confused why he got a spear because, like, this dude has like missiles <laughs> in <Yeah>. his arsenal. <laughs> what does he need a spear for? But you're right; it's got to be he's going to fight for the dark saber at some point. Um, yeah, yeah, and I, I, or like, I think he like. I'm gonna just gonna cut this into like coins because this stuff seems more valuable than anything else. And like now I'm the richest person. I I get it. That's not Mandalorians don't really do that, but it just seemed like I don't know if I need a spear, but okay, I'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, so what's your uh, unless you have anything else to add? What is your uh, rating on this one? Well, I was really hoping this would be my first zero beige episode, Dave, uh, with no pain, mm-hmm. but. Uh, I think it's just the uh, the pain of 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 unmet expectations yes. that I'm gonna give it a three beige. I, I think it was I think it was a good episode uh, on its own, and I think it probably merits slightly higher than that um, if I'm being objective. But I'm not, so three beige. <laughs> I kind of was in the th- yeah two or three beige range. Just to be different, I guess I'll say two. Um, yeah, but yeah, you know, nothing, no real. St- strong knocks against the episode just like you said wasn't exactly to the level that i was expecting i guess i'm like because i brought it up before the bo-katan episode to me is the high water mark so i was expecting maybe something along more along those lines and it didn't quite reach those heights to me so i'll go with two beige and that brings us 
to our next show, um, Discovery Season 3, Episode 7, Unification Part 3. As Hugo uh, mentioned, this is kind of a sort of sequel to Unification Parts 1 and 2 in Star Trek Next Generation. Um, I, You know, I like ceding the floor to you because I think I have a habit of talking too much. So what, what, give me your thoughts on this episode. All right, Unification 3. So again, going into this, I, I saw the title. Uh, saw the preview from last week. I was like, oh, they're going back to Vulcan. Like, we're going to see what happened to, like, one of the founding members of the Federation. Michael obviously has her connections to, to the Vulcans. Um, and and Unification 3, it's going to tie into, you know, Spock's time on Romulus somehow. Oh, maybe we'll see what happened to the Romulans, too. So, just from a top level, I, I did like the setup. I, I thought it was a nice nod, like, for a show that in previous seasons would have just gone oh what's dark <laughs> mm. in this episode was yeah. like yeah no the vulcans and the romulans they eventually do unify and and you know the romulans in this timeline so uh in this in the main timeline romulus blew up and and we see that um in picard where where they deal with the effects of, of the romulans no longer having a home world um vulcan is still in place Vulcan was destroyed in the Kelvin timeline from the Abrams movie, but in our main timeline, Vulcan is still fine. So it's it's a nice touch that eventually the Vulcans let the Romulans come and live on their homeworld. Um, that was uh, good to see, and uh, the they get a new planet name, mm-hmm. which uh, which it's is, actually uh, called Grogu. Grogu, the, pla- the planet Grogu is is very uh, no um it is uh it is uh called Nivar which I think means um in in Vulcan I think means duality or, or mm. two or or two forms um my Vulcan so that also kind of fit so I'll have to take your word for it <laughs> we're we're throwing in all the Star Trek lingo <laughs> Beige, Nivar um. So that also fits, though, that they changed the name from Vulcan to Nevar, you know, meaning the, the two or duality, or, or uh, because now it's the Romulans and the Vulcans on this planet. So, so there's clearly whoever wrote this episode knows their Star Trek and knows their history. It had, um, I love, I love the scene where they, you know, play the video of Spock. Yes, they really integrated that clip well because that could have been really like maudlin or just ridiculous, you know. So I thought they handled that pretty well. And it and it really was a nice sort of closure to Michael's um, arc from season two, right? Where she was struggling with her relationship with Spock, uh, and they eventually sort of, um, you know, came to terms and peace with each other and found respect. And then she just blasts off into the future, like it's it's kind of a neat closure to be like, oh, wow. That's what happened to my brother. Like he became mm-hmm. one of the most important people in the universe. <laughs> um, so I, I I like that. Uh, I, I like that. I liked all the world building and the and the nods here. I am still. I will say. I, I'm wondering where. I'm wondering if there's something we we haven't been shown yet that's going to be a reveal. But I am. I am getting a bit frustrated that they want to have their cake and eat it too, Dave, with the Federation. Mm-hmm. That they want to be like, oh, the Federation still exists. It's just kind of in uh, in a reduced form, or Starfleet still exists in a reduced form. 
But then they also want to be like, oh, but Earth left, Vulcans left, yeah. Andor has left. It's like these are all the founding members, folks. Like, I, I just <laughs> <laughs> and and maybe maybe the point they're going to make eventually is that it's that's that's that is the point that the Federation is not like it doesn't belong to certain species. It's an idea that anyone can claim and and build up. Mm-hmm. Um, but I. <sighs> I don't know. I, I I I guess as the season's progressing, I almost wish they had slightly taken it. If if this is how they're gonna build it, if it's like not truly a dark age, but more just a oh everyone's sort of gone to their different corners mm-hmm. era. Like I kind of wish that they had kept the founding members as parts of the federation. You know, like mm-hmm. um, I don't I don't know. I don't really have a strong reason why. Just to me as a Star Trek fan, I feel like it would keep it more more cohesive and in line with the feel of Trek and, and also make the building out rebuilding these societies that, that created this one time. But, but again, they may, they may be going somewhere interesting with this. So uh, I'm not really upset with that. I just, uh, just more personal preference. Well, it's kind of, you know, to build on that, it's kind of, they kind of already did this with earth. They're like, earth's not part of the Federation anymore. You're like, well, that is a big deal because we are humans, the audience, and a lot of the main characters there for, for in these shows are human, and we identify with the humans from Earth. But then they do the same thing with Vulcan. Vulcan's not in the Federation anymore. And like, whoa! That then in the world of Star Trek, that's probably a bigger deal because the Vulcans were first contact with the humans. They basically ushered them into the rest of the galaxy. So. You know, so it does make sense, but you're you're right. It's kind of like, uh, did ev- everybody just left? I guess, and it's just they're like, who are the core planets now? I guess, because um, we haven't really seen that. Uh, the uh, Saru's people are apparently members, but we haven't seen them. Maybe we'll see them in a future episode. Uh, but yeah, I, I think what I'm hearing from you is kind of, I think we're similar here. I I don't know if it exactly broke into two halves but approximately the first half of this episode i was just totally on board it's like oh because you know with reun as you were saying with the title unification part three it's like oh this is going to be interesting how are they going to live up to that and i thought they actually did a pretty good job out of the out of the gate with uh folding in spock because uh, you like you said, it brings a little closure there, and because Spock did so many great things, and he was trying to unify the two people, that it it makes sense that he would still be known, even though it's like hundreds of years in the future, because he was that important of a figure. Um, I like the clip, like you said. I I th- I thought it was really bringing together previous Trek in a way that the show in previous seasons hasn't done as well yeah. as this yep um so i was like wow this is really uh this is really something and not that i thought the second half all of a sudden was terrible i just felt like it didn't fully see it all the way through i i think a turning point for me was all of a sudden i think you know where i'm going with this yes. michael's mom yes. is there that was the most that was the most discovery thing i've ever seen this show do and for a season that has really stopped doing those kinds of things where it's like it's just 
feels this the season feels more lived in and realized and the attachment to previous versions of trek feels stronger even in this episode like i said and then they throw this curveball that is just ridiculous i will say though for how ridiculous this is the fact that it didn't totally derail the episode is a tribute i think to the actors involved um because it is totally ridiculous, and but I still was on board enough to see where it went. But like, was, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, you you captured it perfectly, Dev. I've been struggling with why. I, I I that that that's I was I both loved and hated the episode, and I think that's why. I think I think the first half hour I was I was watching it, and to me it was like. This is everything this season has been building up to. This is what I this this show has hit its stride. This is so cool. This is what I've been wanting to see. Like they're really tying it to previous treks. This feels like Trek to me. And then, and then the second half just goes full on uh, season two, season one discovery. We have mm-hmm. the mom, the reveal of the mom, which was just like what? <laughs> it wasn't <laughs> so much that she was there. Because we know that she traveled into the future, and I actually had forgotten about the character. So the fact that they brought her back, I mean, in hindsight, that makes sense that they were going to do that. But she's like a Romulan monk? What? No, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. That was very forced. <laughs> yeah, she's like, I'm part of the, I always, you know, speaking of like Grogu and not forgetting names, I, I always forget the name of these warrior nuns. I always think of them as the... Uh, the Dora Milaje, which is actually from Black Panther. That's, oh, that's the okay, yeah. uh, female bodyguards of, of, of the Black Panther. Um, I just looked it up. It's the Coat Milad. Uh, oh, yeah. I, I could never keep them straight in Picard. And I even after watching all of Picard in the show, I, I, the Coat Milad. That was just so forced. Like, not only is she back, but she's part of the Coat Milad. Oh, and this Romulan nun order is now part of this Vulcan scientific process. <laughs> um the but the other the other the other two big issues i had with the second half you know now that we're on that um was 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 that the mom it just felt way too forced the um the the reversal of michael like like we literally just had you know her character arc like the, the, the episode started off promising to me because one of the frustrations i've had is that like She's regressed as a character, you know, and, and she finally got demoted. But like this season, they brought her back to where she was really at the beginning of season one. Like this this arrogant know-it-all who just does what she wants, orders be damned, and like, you know, is frankly quite insubordinate at times. And finally, Saru, you know, demoted her and she seemed chastened. And 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 I the a book even pointed out to her, he's like why do you have this messiah complex like just chill out you don't have to fix everything it's like yes show you're aware of this yeah like because it's fine like it's fine to have her as the main character but they really need to tone down the messianic aspect to her it 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 cannot sustain itself right across multiple seasons it it worked for last season when she was the red angel but we we cannot have her as a self-aware messiah, right? Like, it's not just that she's she's the messiah. She's saving everything. It's that she acts like she knows she's the main character in the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was glad Book called her on it because to me that signified the writers are aware of that and are dealing with that. But then what happens? They go to they go to Vulcan. Oh, the Vulcans are like, nah, we don't really want to share 
And she's like, that's cool. Uh, I challenge you to the blah, 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 blah. And Saru looks at her like, what just I like happened? how everybody is just like, what just happened? I thought that was funny. <laughs> All the characters like, uh, I don't know what's going on. The audience doesn't know what's going on, and neither does anybody in the crew. And it just didn't fit. Again, it was like, did we wait? Did the character literally not progress? Then is she just back to just doing whatever the heck she wants? Um, so I was just frustrated. All, all it would have required would have been thirty seconds, you know, of screen time where 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 Michael pulls Saru aside and says, "Hey, there's this Vulcan ritual or process. Can you mind if I, you know, it's our way in? Like, just trust me, uh, you know, like just something." So I was frustrated with that with with that, and. Um, and the last part, Dave, you know what you know what the other part is. That just was totally almost as bad to me as as the mom coming back it's was like Tilly being uh... Hey instant Tilly. <laughs> I'm gonna make you commander Tilly. Like okay, just 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 interim commander. I'll, I'll be fair to the show, just interim commander. But even that was ridiculous. What did you think, Dave? It's patently ridiculous for anybody who like follows star trek to any degree it's just uh, here's what i came out of the episode thinking i'm curious to see if the show will really give tilly a new role and if they do that and they do something interesting with that character as the first officer then I'm willing to let it slide, even though it makes totally no sense for like Starfleet officers, uh, because maybe they're thinking. So she right now she's like super ensign who has all the scientific and engineering answers, even though I mean it all comes down to the back to the fact that who is the chief engineer here because the things the role that she normally plays is the role of a chief engineer on a star trek show like anytime there's engineering stuff who's figuring it out it's the chief engineer maybe with some help um maybe they want to move her off of that so that they can have stamets they could have reno they could have um adira maybe ha- handle that that aspect and so they're going to really explore the first officer role which they haven't done a lot in this show and the sad fact is that there's no other characters because the characters who would make more sense to do it are the, like the bridge crew and we don't know anything about them now you could argue this would have been a great opportunity to do that to kind of flesh out a character here but they didn't do their homework. They didn't lay the foundation for that. This kind of seemed that they were doing that um, with the lieutenant, whose name I can't remember, with the blonde hair. They were building her up a little bit. I mean, she as much as you can for not giving a character dialogue. At least they were having her apparently man the bridge, man the captain's chair at certain instances. And so, oh, may, so that was my expectation. She was going to step up, and then we we're going to learn more about the character in that way, which is maybe not the optimal way to do it. It would be better to learn more about the character, and then we feel something when they get this promotion and so maybe they wanted to have a main character which you know is tilly is part of the main cast they wanted somebody to fulfill that role and there wasn't a lot of choices left because you want stamets he's doing his thing you know there's other characters 
you know, have their own roles. So I guess lo my long-winded answer is it's ridiculous. Hopefully they do something interesting with this and they really show maybe the, in other words, maybe this is a bridge in uh, no pun intended into showing more of the bridge crew because now they have a main character face that they can talk to or they can have a, you know experience with or you know bring their complaints to or whatever so if if that is what there is that if that's where they're going then maybe it's okay for you know maybe we'll the storytelling will be fine even though it's ridiculous in universe but if it's just like tilly's continues to do tilly things and she's still like the the wonder uh, engineer who basically plays the role of the chief engineer then i would have a problem with that because then it just doesn't make sense even from a storytelling perspective yeah I, I felt like in universe it didn't make sense she's an ensign there's no way you'd put an ensign in charge as as, as the commander it didn't make sense from a character perspective as she pointed out i'm very she's very insecure <laughs> yes. like a commanding officer needs to be very decisive and have a commanding presence um and it, it didn't make sense for just from a, a, a show perspective either. I, I think you're right. I think what it was was – and again, like it felt like the second half just went back to bad discovery habits – was the show refusing to give more screen time to the bridge crew because Lieutenant Nilsson was – has clearly been shown to be the next in line. But okay, you don't give it to her. Give it to any of the other lieutenants. Give it to a Commander Reno, for example, or you know anyone else who's qualified. I am uh, totally on board for first uh, first officer Reno. I they totally need be... her. Her her dry uh, approach to things would just be an awesome contrast with Saru. And, Saru, yeah. oh yeah. See, I didn't even think about that, and now right? I, I just because the care the I'm just thinking the actor isn't always on the show, so there's it, maybe her contract's different from other. So I'm bringing real world stuff into it, but if you didn't do that, I would love that interplay on the bridge with with Saru. And I think they should think of that. I think that would give it. Um, you know, if you had her as the first officer, Saru's the captain, and then Michael, that'd be kind of your 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 troika that you had in the original series with like the different styles and approaches. You know, Saru's idealism, uh, Reno's sort of dry humor. And then uh, Michael's sort of passionate, uh, instinctive approach. Like, that would be a great interplay between characters. And that's really, to me, what the show's missing. That's the one thing it needs is is we have these interesting characters now, but it doesn't have that the sort of uh, the, the, the sort of personalities that, that blend together um, in that way that some of the other shows have done. Uh, but I was just going to say, like, I think for Tilly, like, it just didn't make sense. Like, just promote one of the bridge crew to that position. That's what makes sense. I think what they're doing is it's just a placeholder so that Michael can come back and take the position. I, mm. I think that's really why they picked Tilly, so they don't have to develop someone, which it, it, to me is just lazy writing. Um, you know, even if you're just going to do Lieutenant Nilsson or whoever for a few episodes, that's cool. That's neat. Shake it up. You know, let's let's just see what that's like. Let's see it on screen. Um, but they, I think they're just like, and, and you know, kind of like how. Um, I was saying, like, you know, you could just add a little bit of dialogue to fix certain things before. Like, I felt like, too, with, with, with Tilly, if you just added just just a little more context to Saru's thing to be like, look, I know you've been interested in the command officer program. Um, you know, this is going to be a short search for me. So in the meantime, why don't you step aboard and we'll, we'll consider this your training 
Um, mm-hmm. You know, like you, you kind of observe me more, more like yeah. you know, come and observe me, commanding, rather than be the commanding officer, be the, be the, be the commander for an extended period as it was portrayed. I, I, I just, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. I mean, I'll, I will give the show some respect in that they actually showed that this is weird because Stamets was like, um. That is weird, basically, in so many words. And I don't think, I don't think, I mean, I had the thing at the end where, like, they're all supporting her. And, I, I mean, I think she's a, a well-liked person within their crew. But I don't think everybody would be cool with this. Not Lieutenant Nelson. It's like, oh, you want to, like, leap over me? Sure, that's cool. No, this is like they're, they're all these people are exceptional to get where they are. They're all trying to move up the ladder. Yes, they're like in crazy circumstances where they're kind of become like a family and they've traveled into the future. But I don't think everybody. Oh, Ensign, sure, go ahead, be first officer. It's even though they did give it a little bit, uh, you know, of time discussing. Like, yeah, this is weird. They didn't fully see it through. I mean, if you really, I don't think the show's going to do this because the show hasn't shown that it will do things like this. But what if it's laying the foundation for like Saru should not be captain because this is one of his decisions where he made an ensign of someone who's not qualified by rank, but also by like personality to be in this position and maybe something down the line goes wrong because she's the wrong person for the role and and maybe Saru by extension he can't keep his former first officer in line what are you doing Saru like maybe you shouldn't be captain i don't think the show's going to do that but that would be interesting if it was going <laughs> down that line yeah um but. Yeah, I did like how the show the episode did deal though with Michael's sense of place and belonging. I I did think that that was uh, a good a good sort of theme for the episode and and the way it developed that, you know, apart from some of the ridiculousness of like the mom coming back, like the way it forced her to confront, you know, mm-hmm. who she wants to be and where she wants to be. Uh, I thought was was good character development um, and worked worked well within within the show. Uh, hopefully this does mean though that like insubordinate uh michael who wants to leave the ship is is done with and the, the the second half of the season now we have a more confident michael who's who's sure of her place uh, yeah so uh, i like that they brought they brought it back up i mean it became like although they did say this like they're going to attack the person who is bringing this information forward that's part of this ritual um but they weren't like attacking the this so going into the second half of the episode let me back up i was like I, I like the buildup and how it kind of brought previous threads of Star Trek together. And I was like, oh, this is going to be like a classic courtroom episode, like the drumhead from Next Generation, like the type of episode where Picard goes on like a soliloquy about like what the Federation really means. And because Patrick Stewart is just such a gripping actor, you're like, you believe that he's just changed the minds of all these people. And that's not what this really was. It was like, I have three points of data and you have more data. I would like it. No, our data, which is secret, we're not going to give you, already gives us an answer. Like, but I really want it. 
and no, we're not going to give it to you. And then, then for like the largest portion of this, I'm going to call it a trial, even though that's not what it was, is Michael's, her and her mom having a conversation that is uninterrupted by anybody, including like the disgruntled, grumpy lead uh, Vulcan guy. It's like, oh, let's see where this goes. And it's just like, yeah, my, like, it's just kind of weird. Like, I don't think this is how this thing was supposed to go. Uh, kind of how you said like, oh yes, these uh, Romulan nuns are now part of this Vulcan process. Is this how, no wonder their society hasn't come together well. If like, every, is everything this like hodgepodge together? Because it was like, the antithesis of like logic is like, oh, you're not being totally truthful about your place on this ship. I think the Vulcan would be like, I don't care. Like, what is what are the facts of your case? And like, why should we give you this information? It was just very odd. I will say it was for as a plot device, it was effective because I thought the actors did well with that. But in the context of this, like, courtroom or whatever you want to call it it was pretty ridiculous but it was ridiculous that the mom was there anyway so i guess what else what else is new but it was pretty funny to me uh, but i did like how they brought it back to the care you know michael is the main character they brought back you know you mutinied before and you know all this stuff like let's because the show is basic was almost putting itself on trial what are we doing with this character moving forward what is this character supposed to be on this show and it's like so there so she's staying with the with discovery which makes sense because it's called star trek discovery and we'll see you know what happens from here but but it was a little the the handling of of it all was a little silly but uh so yeah, that wh- oh, one ahead. thing i did like dave to to finish off my thoughts um i i did like saru's portrayal in this episode apart from the horrible decision with tilly <laughs> i liked his interactions with um with the president of Vol- of nivar mm-hmm. i thought i think um you know speaking of how like this show's like what is you know what is michael's role what, what is she gonna do i thought this episode um you know as the season has gone on we've begun to see what kind of captain saru is and it's clear he's he's very idealistic and a, and a firm believer in the federation and um it was interesting how this episode played him off with the the president of Vulcan because she she kind of hinted at darker aspects of the Federation, mm-hmm. but it didn't go far enough that I thought the show was really gonna you know pull the rug out from under us, um, which I hope it doesn't. I don't I don't want a big reveal at the end that like oh actually this Federation is totally evil. It's like no like it's an institution. It's it's flawed. That's that's and that's fine. That's that's as far as you need to go. Like you don't need to. You don't need to go where you went with season one with Lorca, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> we don't we don't need a big reveal. Like just just it's it's enough to just say like it's a flawed institution and and how do we make it better? Yeah. And um, so I, I appreciate their dialogue on, on that respect, but also I, I I finally figured out that Saru is, uh, he is the immigrant turned citizen. That's that's what this his conversations here highlight for me and his his actions here. Like he is the man who's like who you know, he came from his planet, like his people weren't part of the Federation. He came to the Federation, he became, you know, a member of it, and he joined the military or, or Starfleet, rose through the ranks as a captain, and now believes in the ideals of the society that took him in. 
And I think that's kind of cool. I, I don't think, you know, we've never seen really, uh, I don't think we've seen a, even Worf was never like that, right? Like Worf always was like, no, my old culture of Klingons is awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think we've ever seen a character sort of portray the immigrant um, mindset of like assimilating into a culture and then cherishing that. And then, and then seeing sort of the ideal aspects in better ways than even the people who were raised within the system. So mm. I, I really like that portrayal of him. I, I think that's kind of an interesting take and, um, I, I hope they do more with that going forward. Yeah, I, I didn't think of it that way, but I did like those um, those conversations. That's kind of subplot. I like that they kept coming back to it, and it wasn't just a one-off conversation. It felt like by the end of it, it felt a little more earned. And I agree that that I like that they're, they're hinting at cracks in the Federation that aren't like, oh, something evil's afoot or there's like a, an evil admiral or something. It's like, because bef- up to this point, I mean, I had thought like, oh, because of the burn, they were scattered. They couldn't communicate uh, or reach each other anymore, at least not easily. And then everything kind of broke apart. But it seems like there were problems before that and the dilithium was running out. And so this is a resource, you know, among other things, but that was one thing she mentioned specifically. So this is obviously a resource that's precious to the Federation and other spacefaring cultures because that powers their ships and or their warp drives. And so that makes sense, like a finite resource that they can't just replicate. And that would cause problems, even in, in a utopian society. The, the reason that the Federation is a utopia is that it's post-scarcity. Well, what happens if scarcity comes back into the picture? Mm-hmm. Then there's going to be some cracks. It's kind of, you know, in a very different way, it's kind of, you know, what they did on Deep Space Nine with... Um, with the the war arc and the dominion and it's like well when push comes to shove and you're up against an enemy who's as powerful or if not more powerful than than you and has very different ideals and thoughts about the order of things and they want to crush you because they they want they don't feel that they feel that you're in the way and that you're their enemy. They're not going to be talked to, in other words. They're not, their diplomacy isn't going to work. What is what does the Federation look like then? What does Starfleet look like then? When the, when a long term military campaign is the only answer, this is kind of like. And I don't know how far along they'll go with this topic, but I like that. What happens when the Federation? You know, everything isn't just provided and there is like fighting over resources and i thought that was much more interesting than just oh there was a big calamity the burn and you know that kind of broke everything apart so but at the same time like you said isn't some just darkness like there it feels like something like this makes sense that this would be something that would cause tension among uh different federation planets so yeah so uh what do you what what was your B's rating on this one. Well, again, I think I'm being a little too harsh because I really like the first half, like you said, and um, I, I, again, maybe it was just my <laughs> upset expectations. I'm gonna give it four B's. I think that's the harshest rating Ooh. I've given so far. Yeah, I think that's the harshest that either of us have given. I, I don't. <laughs> I, I think I think overall the episode was better than that, but I just just, just the the combination of 
of flaws in the second in the back end just really caused me to experience a lot of pain, a lot of beige. <laughs> um, so so four, but but I understand that's probably too harsh. Yeah, uh, so I I think I'm a pretty easy grader with these things. I think I'm gonna I'm gonna do two beige on this one. I don't have a, tra a record of all the the beige ratings I've given, so maybe if I you know maybe I should like fine tune my scale a little bit more. But uh, I really if they didn't deliver so strongly at the beginning, I just felt like they did it not to just totally repeat myself, but they did it in ways that Discovery hadn't up to the season hadn't been doing in terms of like uh referencing uh, other treks i really thought they did that well and even so the tilly thing like we've already beat to death that that is a sort so that's one beige right there um just because it's ridiculous uh i guess you could say the mom was beige number two uh but the fact that these aren't larger beiges is because the the episode although it didn't fulfill maybe its beginnings uh, it the fact that it didn't go more off the rails and maybe i'm grading on a curve from previous discovery seasons the fact that it did a couple of like patently to me ridiculous things and but still the episode came out all right i it's a credit to the show somehow. So I guess I guess it could have been worse. I mean, maybe that's not high praise, but I thought it still managed to be an enjoyable episode. And by the end of it, I you know, like you said, the Saru's part was well done. Michael comes out. I I thought they 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 came out of it with what they intended to do with the show with the episode. Michael is now part of the crew, and it felt like that really was kind of an ordeal. It wasn't like she just it just snapped her fingers and she's back on the crew. And now hopefully she won't just keep wavering back and forth. They kind of have dealt with the fallout of her being on her own for a year. All right, let's let's set that aside now and move forward. And I thought the episode, with although it had some bumps, did manage to to do that. Mm -hmm. So. All right, so thank you once again for listening. We'll be back next week to once again discuss uh, Discovery and The Mandalorian. Thank you for listening. Of all the starships, in all the galaxies, in all the universes, I had to choose this one. <laughs>